He is great. Mm. Let's pray. God, man, just... Ready to go home, Lord. <laughs> Thank you for all that you've done. Father, as we've been just laboring through the Old Testament and some of these difficult moments and Oh Lord. Thank you for always bringing us back or creating an opportunity to bring us back, God. When we go astray, Lord, that you have provided that way through Jesus. Lord, and I pray that we see that as we begin to wrap up the Old Testament here and and get into the new. Let us be encouraged, God, that you're always working, that you have a plan, and that you're going to bring it to fulfillment. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, we're we're kind of uh, bringing the plane down, if you will. And uh, on the Old Testament, we've been digging in. We're in the Minor Prophets, and and uh, we're going to talk about uh, several of them today. And uh, next Sunday uh, is going to be was going to be our kind of finale on Malachi. But uh, Billy Clark from Smoky Christian Camp is going to be here and giving us an update on the camp. He's going to be sharing the word. So I'll I'll uh, just we'll. We'll kind of start on October 8th uh, with the end and then get into the Christmas story. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be exciting. We're about to, for those of you who are journeying along with us, I think Saturday, I think Saturday we start the New Testament. So we start reading the New Testament. So if you've not been reading along with us or you fell off the wagon or whatever, that great time to, to start up uh, with us. Um, uh, we're just about to begin the New Testament. So it'll be good stuff there. So anyway, um, it's been exciting to get through the Old Testament, uh, especially I haven't done that in a while, but I'm, I'm really excited to get into uh, Jesus' story uh, for sure. And so uh, I have a little timeline I'm going to bring up here on the screen, just kind of where we're at and what, what we're going through uh, as we kind of come to an end, because uh, we go through these minor prophets, and remember, uh, Israel's been in captivity, they're coming out of captivity, that's kind of things are still, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're kind of gloomy still, you know, and and, uh, uh, you know, I was just, I was kind of thinking about this moment. I remember when I got in the most trouble, and, and we won't even go into why, um, but I was just thinking about that moment, and the punishment hurt, you know, like it hurt, it wasn't fun, but then there was this, this, this kind of aftermath, you know, I'd broken my parents' trust, like some other things that happened and unraveled, and there was just, it, things just didn't snap back. So like, woohoo, you know, life's good. And, and that's kind of where we're at. And, and Israel ends up going through this, uh, there's this 400-year period of silence or so before uh, Jesus comes on the scene. And so uh, it's easy to kind of like, you know, the beginning of the Old Testament gets a lot of attention. A lot of these guys just forget, get forgotten about, honestly, um, uh, towards the end. And then again, there's just this silent period that goes on. And so it gets kind of overlooked. But God is still working, you know, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, today. And so uh, we're going to uh, dig through the different, different stories, different leaders, just kind of, again, glimpsing them and highlighting them and, uh, and, and talking. I want you to uh, just to see that if you can see it. It's a little blurry. I thought it'd be a little sharper. But um, anyway, if not, I can send you that picture and you can look at it real close on your phone or something. 
uh, if you want to look at it. So anyway, in, the, in this time, uh, you know, we got this, this uh, uh, I think it's uh, Haggai and Zechariah. There's about a hundred-year period here in, 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 in with these guys' writing, and the story of Esther happens in here. And so, uh, like I said, on the 8th, we'll, we'll kind of talk about Malachi a little bit. Um, but uh, so last, Malachi's last book of the Bible uh, written, and uh, there's no new scripture. We don't hear from God, you know, or anything like that uh, going on. And so he doesn't send any prophets, and, and God's fulfilling the prophecies that Daniel foretold about, a lot of them, you know. And so, they're, again, they're going to come to fruition with Jesus. And so, um, but as a Jew... If you can just step into their shoes for a minute here, I mean, God was silent, you know, and and we had some periods and, you know, we're reading the Old Testament. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. These things happen. And, you know, sometimes there was some pretty, pretty long years in between there. But this is a, this is a pretty big thing uh, for them. And, and God's kind of silent. And then we jump into the New Testament. And there's all these new characters, right? There's Pharisees and Sadducees and and all this stuff. And, and uh, uh this is where Hanukkah shows up in here and, and all of that stuff. And so uh, we're just kind of like building up uh, to get ready for that. So we're going to jump in and we're going to start with Ezra. Uh, and there's this hopelessness in Israel, right? Because not only were they in captivity, which was terrible, but when they got invaded, I mean, they laid waste to the land. And so you got a few nomadic people that are still living here and there around the Israel area, but it's like an apocalyptic wasteland. I mean, everything's torn down, burnt, shambles, crumbles. And this is what they're starting to return to. <laughs> you know, real exciting. Um, and, and again, it was kind of a slow return. It's not like they just opened the gate and everybody ran home. Uh, it happened in waves of people. And so they're coming into the land that, I mean, you just think back like to when they were flourishing. And I know everybody in exile it, well, didn't experience that, but some people got to experience some of the highlights. And man, just whoo. What a scene to kind of walk back into. But God had been purifying them, man. He honored what he said he was going to do. Hey, guys, if you keep doing this, it's coming, you know. And, and we're going to see that in some of the writings, how the, the heart and attitude of Israel has changed. Are they still human beings? Yes. Do they still mess up? Yes. But we see a heart shift in Israel a little bit through these, through these books. And so, so uh, we have... Uh, uh, we're going to talk about the, the five that are mentioned, the five different ones that are mentioned by book name. And then uh, Zerubbabel, he didn't get his own book for some reason, but he didn't. But we're going to talk about him too. And then, of course, Malachi in, in a couple of weeks. So we're just going to kind of dig through there. And so God, uh, you know, one of the things God's doing, he purifies people. He's preserving the Davidic line, right? He promised that. And so he's going to bring Jesus out of the, the Davidic line and put, uh, put a permanent descendant of David on the throne. And so they're prophetic stuff about Christ coming, and just, again, proving that hope isn't in, in humanity, right? We can't save ourselves, and, and he shows them that uh, through all this. So we're just really setting the, the table for Jesus uh, to come and, and help us be reconciled uh, to God. So who did God use during this period? He used these minor prophets, these, these kind of just unknowns, if you will. They're not anything just you know, it's not a David moment where he's, where he's what's the word? I forgot it. <laughs> David is, uh, what's the word they use? Ruddy. ruddy. Yeah, none of these guys get described as ruddy, right? None of them. I don't hear a lot of things about, I love that word, ruddy. It's good stuff. Uh, so they're just kind of like normal for the most part, you know? Um, I mean, there's some little things here and there, but 
Uh, that's who God's using. And I love this because that's who most of us are. We're just normal, average folks, right? And God can use us in his story. And that's super encouraging to me in real life uh, that, that this can, can go on. So we got these seven, seven main characters and uh, over this 100-year period. And so Zerubbabel, we'll start with the one who didn't get his own book, right? Poor guy. And he's the guy that's, that's kind of neat. He didn't get his own book, but he's in the Davidic line. He's actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And, uh, and so we, we see him. And, and so uh, God ends up moving Cyrus's heart to let Israel go home. And again, it wasn't just, all right, you guys, good job. Bye. You know, and, it, and again, it happened in waves over a while. And so Daniel prophesied uh, about this. He said even before the twinkle was in his mother's eye, Cyrus was prophesied about uh, releasing uh, Israel. And so uh, Daniel made that prophecy, and, and Cyrus, man, he wanted, to, he wanted to make sure it was fulfilled. And so he lets the Jews return, and not only did he let the Jews return, but he funded. Man, he took from his own government money, and, and he ended up funding a lot uh, of, of that transition for them. And so Zerubbabel steps in. He's in this first wave of captives, and he takes the lead as a strong leader uh, through some intense opposition. Again, man, they're coming back. They're kind of just lost a little bit here, and, and they're trying to like, hey, what do we do first? You know, do we dig a well? Do we build a building? Do we plant crops? You know, and just a lot of stuff going on, trying to figure out what to do. And so Zerubbabel kind of steps into this lead, and it's a pretty amazing thing to, to, to read this story of him and uh, the rebuilding of the temple. And, and so you got this, this mix of emotions, right? You got the who have come in, right, and they're, and they're, they're getting released, and they're like, woohoo, you know, and we start rebuilding, and they're excited, and then you got the older people who have been through exile, they're finally out, you know, and as Mitch said, the world had changed around them, and they remembered the glory days, and they're weeping about stuff, you know, they're crying, man, like, oh, this is nothing like we used to have it, you know, and, and, uh, but there's still an excitement, because at least, at least we're moving out of captivity, right, and, and we're moving in a, in a positive direction. We're going somewhere finally. And so there's this 20-year period of, of just different Jewish groups trying to stop Zerubbabel. And so again, he's just inner turmoil and all this stuff. But Zerubbabel wants to help this temple get rebuilt because it's a sign of God's, God's presence and his peace and his promise. Um, and that's how it's been the whole time. And so, and then of course he's, you know, all that's going to be fulfilled in Jesus, right? The Messiah. Uh, the the earthly temple comes comes in the form of Jesus, and so God's going to use this temple. He's used this temple to bring Him glory. And of course, again, that's what Jesus does. So let's let's look at Ezra chapter five. And like I said, we're just going to take little snippets uh, out of some of these uh, pro prophets readings and and uh, and go on. Uh, so Ezra chapter five verse one it says, "Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo." prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of jo Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So you got Zerubbabel doing this. Uh, Haggai and Zechariah are with them. They're, they're you know, out there proclaiming uh, the, the word of God and stuff. And so at the same time, Tatanai, uh, the governor of province of provident, province beyond the river of Sheltar, and I just always want to say bonsai tree uh, when I see that, uh, Bozani, uh, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this 
structure. And so, that, again, Haggai and Zechariah are working uh, to speak uh, to the people and encourage the people. And so, uh, in, in uh, Haggai chapter 1, uh, they, they kind of bounce around telling, telling these different stories. But Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is time for you yourselves to dwell in the paneled house while this house lies. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And what he's saying to him here is, you're not content, right? So they've come back from captivity. They're starting to, to rebuild and regain their lives. And, and they're focused on the wrong thing, right? And, and probably, man, this is, I don't blame them, right? They're like, hey, I need a house. <laughs> you know, I need crops. I need to be able to feed my family. I need to be able to do this stuff. But they made the same mistake that we've seen Israel make over and over and over again. God is not first. They're looking out for the same thing we look out often for. Old number one right here. You know, I'm going to make sure I take care of me. There's this, there's this whole, whole thing in our culture. I'm actually, I think my first sermon of the year is going to be called self-care. Because it's a big push in our culture, right? Self-care, self-care, you know. And, and there's a biblical side of that, for sure. But our culture twists and turns that and makes it into a big old mess. And it ends it up, hey, I'm just looking out for old number one right here. And God's like, hey, <laughs> you're not content. Everything around you is, is failing. It's not really succeeding. And, and what God's really showing them is that their priorities are, are wrong. You ever been there? Gotten your priorities a little skewy, right? And all of a sudden, things are falling, falling apart around you. And you're like, what is going on? And we just get self-centered and materialistic and not God-centered. It goes on in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of, us, while, while each of you busies himself with his own house, Therefore, the heavens above you have with, withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So it goes on, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, listen, obeyed the voice of the Lord. Finally, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Big difference, right? Israel has had this, this heart shift. And so th they came back, and, and again, I, I don't blame them. I don't fault them. They're, they're scared. They're probably like trying to figure life out, and, and they're having to start from scratch a little bit here. And, and, uh, and they're tr trying to do their thing, and they end up getting their eyes off the Lord, and they're doing their own thing. And God's like, hey, my house. You know, keep your eyes focused on me. And so I've uh, uh, been through all these years and years of the prophets pleading with people, but God has prepared their hearts over this 70 years of captivity, and, and they're listening. Um, verse 13 there, it says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know, I've heard, I've heard sermons about this preached when, when churches are doing building campaigns or program things. And man, that's, that's not what this is about. It, it really is about this shift of, of priorities. It's about keeping God's kingdom out in front and not my own. And I, and I hate when we kind of, again, twist it to, to fit some earthly thing that we're trying to accomplish. And God's just saying your priorities are wrong. You need me first. Put me first and keep me first, right? Uh, I know I read it last week, but I'm going to read it again. This is, a good, this is a good passage to just have memorized. Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? And again, that's not our, to our own glory. It's not seek his kingdom and his first, and then I get everything I want. It's God's going to take care of me. When I keep my priorities straight, when I keep him first, when I'm trusting him today, you know, again, we get caught up in what's coming in the future and all this stuff. And if I can just get locked in today and walk with him, he's going to provide our needs. He's going to take care of us. He's going to do his part. That's what Jesus says. Mark 12, 29, 30, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I hope you never get tired of hearing that. That's it right there. We have to keep him in the place he deserves because that's what's best for us. And again, we've, we saw that message throughout the Old Testament. God commands that and demands it because he knows that's when you're at your best is when you're putting him first, when he's in the right place, when he, you're worshiping him and nothing else, not false idols. We're not drawn from empty wells as, as we've read. We've got to seek him. And I want to do this, but sometimes I don't, right? That's, uh, we all fall to that. Thank, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> oh. All right, Zechariah. So the book of Zechariah, I'm just going to touch on this. It's a very messianic book. I, I, we might come back to this next year and really dig into this because it's, it's really good. Uh, but Zechariah 12.10, uh, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and peace and, and grace and peace. Peace for mer- please for mercy. I may have write that, I wrote that down wrong. So that when they on hu- on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for uh, for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. And so what he's saying is, someone is going to come from the house of David, and is going to be God, and is going to be pierced, and they're going to be extremely sorry for crucifying him. All right. And so there's this whole prophetic thing going on uh, in the book of Zechariah. And one of chapter 13 it says on that day there shall be a fountain mm, opened for the house of david and the inhabitants of jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness i think about the, the old hymn you know there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains that's where it's coming from right here right and so there's this prophetic word here in, uh, in, in Zechariah. And so uh, that's where we're going to find grace. That's where we're going to find mercy um, in, in the coming of Jesus. And so we got the story of Esther, right? Uh, Esther, uh, I love that story. There's great veggie tells about it. If you don't like reading, 
Oh, the light fell. You should walk back there. It's fun to like bump your head on the light sometimes. Um, so there's this story of Esther, and she, she's, uh, her story takes place in the waves of Israel that are coming back. Uh, there's still some here, and there's some there. And, and so she's kind of the girl next door that has the rough life. She's lost her parents. She's being raised by her uncle. And she enters a beauty contest, and she wins. And the prize is she gets to be the queen of Persia, you know, um, and kind of just a weird story in the middle of this. But, man, what, what a story. God used her, you know, it talks about, for such a time as this. He places her in a place, a position where she gets to be a key role in saving her people's lives. Just awesome story, you know, uh, in, in the middle of this. And uh, we got Ezra. He's uh, in the priestly line. Uh, he's a priest in Aaron's line. And he's, he's teaching the people about the forgotten word of God. He's, he's trying to get it back out there in front of them, leading re- people to repentance and revival. It says in Ezra uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 8, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Mm. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Man, I hope that's said about me one day. Man, Jeff set his heart on studying the Word of God and knowing the Word of God and his statutes, and I hope we, wanna, I hope we want that said about us. So he arrived in Israel after making the journey uh, there and man what he saw just like broke his heart you know uh, there was some uh, just the devastation in general but there was some idol worship going on they were still intermarrying with other cultures and like they were just going against God's law and in Ezra 9 I'll start with verse 3 it says as soon as I heard this I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled then all who trembled at the words of the of words of the God of Israel because of the faithfulness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. And our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to the captivity, to the plundering, and to the utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery, for we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the king of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure 
with the impurity of the peoples of the land, with their abominations that have filled it from the end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such a remnant as this. I want you to see this right here. This is something that's been kind of big on my heart. It's public repentance, man. And Ezra didn't even do this stuff, by the way. He's repenting for the people. He's repenting for the people of sins he, he didn't take part in. But he's so burdened and he's so broken and he's just get out there just confessing all this stuff. Ezra 10.1, while Ezra, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Are we seeing this? Their hearts are different, man. Of course, they still mess up, but their hearts are different. They, 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 they're repenting. They, they want God. He goes on in verse 2, And Shechaniah and the son of Je Jehiel of the sons of Elam addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these, all these wives and their children according to the counsel of the Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. You know, I, I just, I think about a lot of times, like, you know, churches, and, and again, I'm not just picking on Cross Plains, but I think churches, like, sometimes have a history of uh, some stuff that never gets dealt with, you know, and, and people carry it around as like a silent burden sometimes, and, and like, that's one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading this from Ezra, you know, and I just want to throw that out there, man, I don't know, I know we got a remnant of Cross Plains in here, man, I don't know if there's everything, anything we ever need to publicly just repent of, you know, that Cross Plains has done in the past. Again, maybe not some blatant sin, but maybe how we handled someone or something, or I don't know, just, man, if God's ever prompting that, I mean, again, we need to listen to the Lord, and it needs to be Him, but like, sometimes I think repentance is just, like, we just think repentance, like, oh, I messed up, and, and, but man, right here, we see this burden from Ezra, because he's seeing his people, his brothers and sisters, and, and he knows, like, hey, there's some not healthy stuff in camp, and he's just publicly repenting, confessing, and it leads what? What happens? Other people <laughs> repent and confess, right? And then they make this covenant with God, and we're with you. Be strong and do it. We get to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this uh, cup bearer uh, for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, um, and you got to think, man, a cup bearer, right? This sounds like a I don't know, a, a not big deal job, but it's a big deal, right? Because everything that gets to the king passes through this guy, right? Man, what a trusted position. And, and if you read, I mean, you even see the relationship that was going on uh, be, between him and the king. And, and uh, you know, there was something there. And, and so uh, he's making sure everything... Uh, 
Hezekiah becomes this very vi- visible, visionary leader as he leads in the rebuilding of the, of the walls of Jerusalem. And, and so, like, when he sees everything, he's, he's sad, and the king takes notice of him, you know, and he's like, hey, you know, why are you, you, know, why are you sad? And, uh, and he's like, king, you know, I, you know, I love you, and we have this relationship, but I'm broken about my home. And so he gets permission from the king, and he makes a plan, and he, and he goes back, and he begins to implement the plan, you know. Um, and, and so he takes a lot of heat, but they're trying, they keep trying to rebuild, and they keep getting attacked, and things keep falling apart. And so he's like, hey, you know, we need a defense of the city. And so uh, he starts to work on that. And then there's this other side of these, these uh, selfish elites, right, uh, that have come into power. We see this carried over into Jesus' time. And, man, when he comes in, their power's getting disrupted, and they don't like it. And he's trying to put them into the pl- in their place. And, like, man, I just like, can't help but think. Like, we experience a lot of this in America, and I'm sure other countries do too, but I don't live in them. we got all these public servants who get into office, and they're supposed to be working for the people, and they end up retiring millionaires and billionaires because all they did was make money off the people. And they become these, these political elites, and we're beneath them. And, and I, I've known good people that have gotten into politics, and, and man, it has corrupted them, and and I've seen it happen. And, and again, I'm not saying everyone is that, but we see this stuff and it happened in Israel. It happens today because power and money and that stuff, that's, it does that to us. It corrupts us, man. We get prideful and we think we're better than other people. And it shouldn't be that way. We're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be working uh, for other people. I remember Joel was sharing one time about elders and how uh, the description of that is the under rowers. You know, this, this image of, hey, when I, you know, I really want to be a servant leader. I'm, I'm this under rower. I'm under the boat, rowing the boat. I'm not, I'm not getting any medals. I'm not getting any credit. I'm just working hard, you know. And, like, that's this image of a servant when we want to put others first and we want to serve people, and that's what we got to have. And so there, there's all these people that had just gotten corrupt. And, uh, and again, uh, he, he's trying to straighten them out and on on track. I mean, here's the truth, man. We're, we're coming into the book of Malachi, and the truth is, it doesn't work. It kind of ends right here with a failed attempt moment. It's kind of how, how it ends, and, and period from God. And so it's like, why is this even in here, you know? And, you know, I was just thinking about that, and like, and, I, and again, I, I kind of opened up with prayer about that. I hope it encouraging and inspiring because God was still working. Yeah, not everything didn't turn out the way they thought it would in the moment, right? But God was still working and he was working through people and he was doing good things in people. And so just want to close with that. I want to share a couple of things. God acts in unexpected times. And, and I believe we, we live in unexpected times. We, you know, again, I just, I'm not going to be shocked. Wake up tomorrow and there's some outlandish thing on, on the news that something else has happened, right? Um, because who knows? Who knows? I think if we've learned anything, we can count on that one. Who knows, you know, uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? And a lot of times it looks gloomy, but God is at work uh, no matter how bad things look. And remember, in times of, of disciplinary action that needs to take place, there's God's either going to bring judgment or he's going to bring revival. And I hope you're praying for revival. <laughs> I hope we're praying and begging God for revival, just a move of his spirit, just an awakening of his people um, to come back to him, to keep him first, to, to, to keep him the prior priorities straight. 
You know, because when a lot of times when it seems like all hope is lost, like that's when God comes through. Um, and, and we're called to invest in this, you know, and again, just in our, in our prayer life and surrender. So God acts in unexpected time. God calls unlikely leaders. I, I, again, I know we sit around sometimes like, oh, who am I? You know, I don't, what do I have to offer? You know, I always just think about the little boy and the fish and loaves and, and like God's just saying, bring it to me. Will you be the one that stands up and, and brings it to him, you know, and, and lets him do something through you because he can. He can do something through you. Um, I, just, I was looking at some traits to kind of take away, and uh, one of the things to take away believe something better than the status quo. Easy to just settle into mediocrity. Well, you know, this is just the way it is. You know, and we just don't even think sometimes, hey, man, God can do something amazing at Cross Plains, man. He can blow this community up for, for him, right? He can, and he wants to use you in that and me in that. If I'm willing to come to the table and offer him my loaves and fishes, he wants to use that. And I got to believe that he can do great things. Great leaders take action, man, even when it costs them something. You're not always going to be... Uh, you know, pat it on the back or anything else. It's, it can cost us something um, when we take action. All, all seven, again, I'm, I'm saying seven because we're going to talk about Malachi. But they all could have stayed on the sidelines. They sure could have. And then we wouldn't know these stories because nothing would have happened. You know, they chose to engage where God was leading. You're going to take a hit if you get into it, but it's to bring God glory and it's it's all about again this is just a common thing we've seen doing the right thing instead of the easy thing great leaders are humble uh, they're the first to confess sin they're the first to to repent and and they're the first to repent for everyone even stuff maybe where they're not the primary center um and they're broken i i hope we have a broken heart over people's sin and and just seeing people straying from god i hope it man i hope it moves our heart and the last one is great leaders don't quit man this isn't easy. It's not easy, man. It is not easy. And there's going to be days where we want to throw in the towel, no matter what role we're playing, where we think nothing's happening. We don't see any fruit. We don't see even people are being discouraged. And you're out here pouring your heart out. And then all of a sudden you get a call and someone in the church is complaining about what you're doing. And you're like, I'm, I'm trying to help. Like, you know, and you know, whatever. It can be really discouraging. But good, great leaders for God, they don't quit, man. Because they're doing it for something higher. They're doing it for him and to bring his glory. I, I just thought about the 12 disciples. Man, they, they, they didn't quit. Man, they had a lot of these same attributes. Jesus did not quit, you know, uh, no matter the, the trial that he went through. Um, and the last one is God saves uh, unable sinners. Because if you've, again, man, just some of the big themes throughout the Old Testament that we, we've been, is we can't. You can't do it. <laughs> no effort on your side. You'll never be able to do it. And that's why he sent Jesus, that we're not on our own, and we need to surrender to him. And so I think maybe that's even why the Old Testament ends in a very imperfect way. It doesn't end with some glorious moment where Israel's like, Wah! you know, it kind of ends in a little bit of a gloomy and then silence. And what a tough period to, to go through in Jerusalem before Jesus shows up. 
And then Jesus is born, and there's some excitement. Then he, like, he has to grow up right before he, before he begins his ministry. And, and uh, what, what, a, what a disheartening period. It would be easy to get disheartened during a period like that. But, man, I think it's just another thing of God pointing to the fact that we need him. We have to have him, and we have to do this his way. I love you, church. I, I, hope, I hope this reading has been so good for you. And like I said, we'll, we'll wrap up with Malachi uh, in a couple of weeks and, uh, um, and then get into the Christmas story. Yay! So everybody bring gifts. No. Um, but we'll dig into the, uh, the, the beginning of Matthew there in the Gospels and stuff. But, uh, man, church, I, I just, if God's prompting you about some repentance stuff or some surrender stuff, man, I, I hope you respond. I hope if your priorities have gotten all out of whack, man, that you, that you cry out to God and that you surrender and you get them lined back up. That's when we're going to be our most effective. That's when there's going to be fruit being produced in our life. That's when we're going to be making eternal impact on those around us, our community. There's a lot of opportunities out there, and God is working. Are you on his side? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, Lord. And, and just, again, thank you for all these stories of these different, of these different folks who, who really, uh, stepped into some really crazy circumstances and unknown things, God, and they just were trusting you and they were walking this out um, with you, God. And, and, uh, and thank you that we get to read about it all and see this. And, and uh, God, thank you for the coming of the Messiah that we're about to get into. Uh, so excited about that. God, and, and again, I know I've mentioned this, uh, but I'm so thankful to be living on this side of the cross, God. And I, Lord, I pray that myself, that all of us, that we live a life worthy of that. God, that we live a life worthy of the calling that Jesus has put on it. Lord, the thing that he gave his life for, uh, Lord, to, to give us that hope and security in you, God. And, and uh, God, but to live an effective life. Lord, it's, just, it's not about just getting home. God, it's, it's about seeing as many people uh, reconciled to you as possible, Lord. And so thank you for reconciling us. And I pray we take up that banner uh, with confidence, God, and that we act on our faith. We love you. We thank you for everything that you have done, God, and, and are doing and continue to do, Lord. And we just ask all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.